Welcome to Sermons from Bailey Road. You are about to hear a sermon given at Bailey Road Baptist Church. Bailey Road is a small Bible-believing church located in North Jackson, Ohio, and is pastored by Pastor Aaron Smith. We are dedicated to serving the Lord through our people and through our teaching. We hope you are enlightened by today's message, and again, welcome to Bailey Road Baptist Church. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 tonight. And aren't you glad that greater is he that is in you? than he that is in the world. We have something very special in our God that uh, we, we sometimes just can't even fathom uh, how good he is. Well, we have made it back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Last week, we uh, kind of fast-forwarded just a little bit, and we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as we observe the Lord's table, and I'm grateful for that uh, opportunity to do so, and we're able to make some application, uh, but we are going back uh, to where we had stopped the week before as we uh, continue to deal with uh, and look at this letter from the Apostle Paul to the church that was in Corinth. And chapter 5 begins a section of 1 Corinthians where Paul is addressing uh, the church about the report that he had heard from the household of Chloe. Uh, chapter 5 and 6, uh, Paul is dealing with some very specific issues about very specific problems that they were having in that particular church. When we come to chapter 7, Paul is going to deal with some questions that had been asked of him at that same time. And so we're going to see a little bit of another uh, minor transition as Paul is still addressing and putting some things into place, but he's not necessarily going to be uh, dealing with specific problems as much as uh, the questions that had been asked. Uh, but this evening, we're kind of continuing along that uh, line of thought where Paul is addressing these matters and um, uh, when you get to chapter 6, uh, again, chapter 5 is a very heavy chapter, a very direct and deliberate chapter that Paul deals with. By the time he gets to chapter number 6, I'm going to say that Paul was maybe, I don't want to just pigeonhole Paul into something here, uh, but I want to say there's a possibility that Paul was beginning to get just slightly annoyed at this church at Corinth. Okay? And hopefully you'll see this and pick up on this as I read here in just a moment. Uh, but you'll see uh, Paul doing that because you're going to see uh, Paul ask six rhetorical questions. Six. There's only 20 verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And not only does Paul ask six rhetorical questions, they are all the same question. You'll see that in just a moment. So let's take a look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and consider these topics that the church, uh, what Paul expected them to have already known. So let's look here in verse number 1. He says, dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not 
before the saints, do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If ye then have judgments of the things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. It is so that there is not, is it so, sorry, that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law one with another. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong, and defraud, and that your brethren. Verse 9 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of our of the Lord Jesus, and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord will also raise up us by his power. Know ye not that your body, your bodies, sorry, are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that the man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now I want to point out to you these six times that Paul is repeating himself. The first time we find in verse number two, as Paul says, do ye not know? 
And then he continues with the rest of the question that the saints shall judge the world. In verse number three, he says, Know ye not that we shall judge angels? That's the second question. Again, in verse number nine, he says that same phrase, Know ye not that the unrighteousness shall inherit the kingdom of God? Again, in verse 15, he says, Know ye not that your bodies are members of Christ? In verse, verse 16, he asked two questions back to back. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? And again in verse 19, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? You see that repeated phrase there, that repeated part of the question, know ye not. Don't you know? Now, I know at some point in time in your life, somebody has asked you a question based upon your response of something or your uh, lack of understanding of something, and they have asked the question, don't you know? Don't you know? Now, why would someone ask someone else if they already know? Usually it is because we are expecting that particular individual to have already been informed on that, right? It's kind of like asking the question, don't you know two plus two is four? Now, how many of you know that? Two plus two is four. You see, that is what makes it a rhetorical question. You don't really have to ask or you don't really have to answer. I've already given you the answer. Don't you know that two plus two equals four? And that seems to be the context as the apostle is asking this. If he had just asked one time, know ye not, then I would say that maybe he's just, again, one rhetorical question. But six rhetorical questions? As he says, know ye not? Know ye not? Basically saying, you should know this. I think it's possible, I think it's likely, that uh, the Apostle Paul had already taught these things to this church at Corinth. But like people, they probably gave the example or the reason or the excuse of, oh, I forgot. And so Paul is reminding this church as he is also correcting this church about some very uh, serious matters. Now, they may not be to the same uh, height of seriousness as chapter 5, but they are still extremely important. Because they're important enough that Paul is about to deal with these things and, and go in this. And so I, I title this message for 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, very simple, uh, with a question. You seriously don't know? Because that is really what Paul is getting at here, is asking, do ye not know? How is it that ye don't know? Ye seriously don't know. So let's pray together, and we're going to take a look at this here very quickly tonight, and then we'll get out of there. Uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much. Uh, God, you have been so good to us, and you have kept and provided for us here in your word answers. 
answers to questions that, yes, maybe we already know that we've heard before and that we uh, have forgotten. And so, Father, I pray that this would help us to be reminded tonight of what you expect, of what you have for us. Uh, Give us this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll just stay right here, John. Uh, Thank you for letting me uh, know. Uh, I think this one's not working, so we're going to go right here, and I'm just going to stay put. Uh, And if I stay put, you know what that means? I preach faster. Just saying. Uh, So you're welcome uh, for that. Uh, So Paul is saying you seriously don't know. We have three sections uh, of chapter 6 here that we'll go over. This first section is found from verses uh, 1 through 8. And Paul is dealing with the fact that their behavior was improper. The first thing he deals with here is their behavior was improper. Now, uh, again, normally when we are dealing with children, and dealing with children's behavior, uh, there are times that children behave a particular way that they are unaware that their behavior is wrong, that their behavior might be improper. Children still need to be taught. Children still need to be uh, instructed. Children still need to be corrected. They need all of these things to let them know that their behavior is improper. Uh, when uh, we, we would have uh, bus kids come in uh, to church and they would uh, sometimes use uh, foul language. Sometimes use foul language. And, and I would have uh, certain adults, they would, uh, they, would, they would rip them, man. I mean, they would just give them a new, you know, why would you say that? And, and really uh, just get into them. And, and I would see the reaction of some of these children as they would uh, go through that. And so I started uh, trying to do something just a little bit different and handle those situations uh, just a little bit different. And, and I would uh, just stop. And I would look at the child, you know, it'd be different ages, but uh, some as young as six, believe it or not. Uh, But I would stop and I would say, hey, we don't speak that way here. And they would look at me and they would say, oh. And I would say, yeah, we don't speak that way here. This is God's house. Amen. And they would recognize that and they would uh, immediately apologize. And I never scolded them. I just let them know we don't speak that way here. We don't do that here. This is improper behavior. And then eventually I would tell them, you know, you really shouldn't speak that way anywhere. But this is God's house and we don't do that here. Occasionally. They would, uh, some would come in and they would sing different songs and they were usually not uh, church appropriate songs. And I would tell them whether we would be on the bus or whether we were in church, I would say things like, hey, excuse me, is that Jesus music? And they would say, "Uh, no. I said, oh, well, we sing Jesus music here. And then they would change. They would sing something Jesus. Now, I don't know where I came up with that phrase, Jesus music. Uh, Some would make fun of me uh, in using that term. Uh, But I would just tell them once again, I said, we don't don't sing that here. We sing Jesus music. Oh, okay. 
Well, let's sing this. It had to do with something that was either proper or improper. Now, again, what they did at home, I had no control over. What they did in the, on the school bus, I had no control over. But we're in God's house. And you need to know proper behavior. And so Paul is dealing with here that this church's behavior was improper. He starts off in verse number one saying, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Now, Paul is doing a lot of teaching here, and you'll notice that while I pointed out six rhetorical questions, you will find a series of questions that Paul is teaching throughout this chapter. And he's asking this chapter, and he doesn't always give the answers. Now, that is probably because he's already given the answers. And they have to come to that conclusion on that. Uh, but he says, uh, in understanding, he says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. And so this first section of Paul dealing with their behavior that was improper, it was because of who they were going to law with. Now it's not, notice this, it's not just dare any of you having a matter against another, but it's another within the church. And look at this train of thought here as he says, as you go to law before the unjust. It wasn't just uh, who they were going to law with, but also who was the law? Who was judging them? And he starts to explain, know ye not that the saints shall judge the world? It wasn't just about who was judging them or who they were going to law against or who was judging them, but also who they were supposed to be judging. Who they were supposed to be judging. And not just who they were supposed to be judging, but notice in verse number three, he says, uh, or continue in verse two, rather. Uh, he says, and if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smaller or smallest matters? Sorry, the smallest matters. You see, this was not, uh, these were not uh, capital criminal cases. These were what we could probably consider to be, again, as the Bible says, the smallest matters that really didn't have to go before court, that didn't have to go before the law, that didn't have to go before someone else, that could have been handled within the confines of this local church. Then he goes on and says again another question, that rhetorical question, know ye not that we shall judge angels? So their behavior was improper because of who they were going to law with, because of who they were allowing to judge them, but also because of who they would be judging in the future. They said, you are going to judge angels. How much more things that pertain to this life? Now, he's going to continue uh, with this set of questions here. He says, if ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. He says, you have a problem with one another? He says, you need to set up a judge. You need to set up somebody that's going to hear what you have to say and be able to do this. And then he says, I speak to your shame. 
Again, in the last chapter, he said, uh, should, should, would you have me to praise you? I praise you not. Uh, that was what we looked at last week as they were dealing with the Lord's table. Uh, he, he said, you want me to praise you? I praise you not. Here he says, I speak to your shame. He says, your behavior is so out of uh, touch with what I've already told you, I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? What he's saying is, are you, he's saying, are you telling me that you can't find anyone to hear this matter? There's no one wise among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren? He's saying, is there not anyone? He says, but brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law with another. Why do, listen, listen to this. This is what's important here. He says, why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Why would you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded, to be lied to, to be cheated? He says, nay, ye do wrong and defraud and that your brethren. Do you, you realize what he's saying? What he's saying is, you should rather be lied to and cheated by your brother before you take them to an unbelieving court of law. You, you take the offense. You say, well, well he... he, he he took, he took my jacket. I'm going to take him to court, get my jacket back. No. He says, you ought to be rather, you, would, you should rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded. You should rather be cheated than to take him before a law, for a godless law, for an unbelieving court. Against matters of one another. Would you rather? He said, Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. Their behavior was improper. They were cheating one another. He says, He says, You're cheating your brother when you take that matter to a court of law. Now, we're not necessarily talking about criminal matters. Criminal matters are certainly different. Uh, this, is, this is one brother has wronged another, uh, a matter that they could have worked out among themselves to make those things right. Uh, there's another matter of criminal court uh, that is not necessarily covered here. Um, but yet, uh, notice that not only was their behavior improper, uh, but secondly this evening, their behavior was intemperate. Their behavior was intemperate, which means uh, not restrained or it was excessive in their behavior. He says, know ye not, once again, verse 9, know ye not that the unrighteous 
shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, be not deceived. Notice this. It's a pretty strong list here. He says, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. It's a pretty strong list. Some actually get uh, somewhat hung up on this list here. Saying, well, who shall inherit the kingdom of God? If all of these people are not, this is not what Paul is focusing on here. Notice what he focuses on in verse number 11 as he says, And such were some of you. Yeah, that that ought to get a real big amen there. And such were some of you. You used to be on that list. You used to be within that. But he says, I love this. He says, "But, but ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He says, listen, he says, listen, the, the unrighteous are not going to inherit. Those that have done these things, they're not going to. And you were like them at one time. But not anymore. But not anymore. You were, but you're not now because ye've been washed. Ye are sanctified. Ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He said, such were some of you. You used to be like this, but not anymore. He says, as a matter of fact, he said, all things are lawful unto me. Oh. He says, all things are lawful unto me. He said, I have the ability. I can. The law allows me to do such. But, but, it's not expedient. All things are not expedient. That idea of expedient means that which serves or that which is useful or that which is profitable. You see, just because I can doesn't mean I should. Amen? Just because I can doesn't mean I should. I remember one of the greatest things I've been taught in my Christian life I learned in Bible college Uh, my junior year of Bible college. So I would have been uh, 20 years old, almost 21. And uh, I went to, I had transferred from one college to another and came in and the very first day, uh, the uh, president of the college gets up and, and he begins to teach this principle about what he called taking the high road. Taking the high road. As believers, as Christians, we are to simply take the high road. Now, everybody knows what it means to take the high road. The high road is usually a road that's a little less traveled. It's uh, usually a little more uncomfortable at times. It's a road that is not as easily traveled as the main thoroughfare. But when you take the high road, it means something. 
And this is what he was teaching within that principle of taking the high road. He said this. He said, as Christians, we have to get beyond choosing between what is right and what is wrong. See, we look at these things sometimes in this manner, and this is what this church was doing. Uh, they were simply looking at, is it right? Okay. Is it wrong? Okay. And, and they were mixing some of these things up. And sometimes, and you'll notice this in the Christian life, and really I wish I could walk around right now. I want to walk around, but I'm going to stay put. They, uh, in choosing between what is right and what is wrong, sometimes we get to that point where we say, maybe that's not wrong. You could make a case or you could make a point for certain things to say, well, maybe it's not, maybe it's not totally wrong. We'll use the thing, well, it's not sin. But here's what the principle of taking the high road is. It's not choosing between the right and the wrong, but rather choosing between the better and the best. If we can learn to choose our choices between what is better or best, guess what we're going to do? We're always going to choose what is right. There are, there are some that will make the case uh, that uh, drinking alcohol is not sin or not wrong. There are verses that when you look at them, uh, that it would uh, look at at uh, first glance that you could make that case. You could make that case. But I'm going to say, as a Christian, I don't want to choose between whether it's just right or wrong or that it's not wrong. And so if I'm going to choose between the better and the best when it comes to consuming alcoholic beverages, what am I going to have to choose? Now, a few things that we have to consider in this particular example of choosing between alcohol or not alcohol is one, looking at Scripture and during Scripture times when Scripture was written, I ask this question, how many beverages of choice did they have in Scripture? Maybe a little more than two. Uh, let, let's just say for illustration purposes that they had five choices. Five choices. They could drink water, which a lot of times in biblical times, water was undrinkable. They could drink fresh juice, which again, they did not have a refrigeration process to keep the juice uh, fresh long. They could possibly drink milk. And then they had an option to drink alcohol. Now, if you just, if, in order to, to complete this illustration, understand that I understand that we are going to have to remove much of the scripture of what the scripture says about alcohol. Okay? But I'm trying to help you to choose between the better and the best, not necessarily the right and the wrong. So here's where I come to, okay, they, they had four, maybe five choices of beverages to choose from. Now let's fast forward. It's 2021. I ask this question as well, because it's been the same since the beginning of time, sent to it is to here, right here today. What is the purpose 
of drinking a beverage. To be hydrated, correct? That's the purpose. The purpose of drinking a beverage is to be hydrated and stay hydrated and keep hydrated. That's a purpose. That's its purpose. At the end of the day, to keep us alive, we need beverages. Now, we fast forwarded to 2021. Somebody enlighten me. How many beverage choices do we have in 2021? Four? Has anyone been to the long aisle at the grocery store as of late to select a beverage? How many choices do we have? Have you been to a convenience store as of late to select a beverage? How many choices do we have? Have you been to one of those uh, new fandangled spaceship looking uh, drink machines? Have you? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. How many choices are in that? It says right on the advertisement, over 100 drink choices. Now here's the deal. As a Christian, I want to choose between what is better and best. So if I just go to this one drink machine, I have over 100 combination choices to choose from before I ever get to have to choose alcohol. Isn't that something? He said, I don't want to choose between the right and the wrong. Well, if I just take one drink, if I take one drink of wine, is that a sin? Look, you don't have to answer to me. You don't have to answer to me. Amen? I'm glad for that. You should be glad for that. You don't have to take answer for that. You're going to answer before God for that. But just to be safe, I want to choose what's best. I There is no rhyme or reason in the year 2021 that any Christian has to hydrate themselves with alcohol. There are way too many other choices before I ever have to get there. And then, even if you say, well, what happens, and you could give this scenario, well, what happens if the apocalypse comes and all of those other choices are there and you have bad water or wine? What are you going to choose? Well, I'm going to choose between the better and the best. You say, what does that mean, Pastor? I'm going to let you fill that in. I'm going to choose between the better and the best. I'm not going to give you my answer. Because I don't want my answer to be your answer. Everybody with me? There, there is a reason here. And we have this in this church. Their behavior was intemperate. They said, oh, we can do everything. But Paul said, all things are not expedient to me. They're not profitable. They don't serve. They're not useful. He goes on to say, meats for the belly and belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. He said, God's going to destroy both of those. He says, but just in case you're wondering, now the body is not for fornication. It's not for fornication. Listen, our society, our culture today, I think, I'm just going to look around real quickly. Uh, I think we have a fairly mature crowd. I think the only kids in here are mine, so I can talk about whatever I want to, right? 
along these matters. I'm not going to be crass or anything. Uh, but, but listen, we have a sexually driven society. You ever heard the term sex sells? Well, there's a reason they say that. Because it does. Pornography is rampant in our country. It's or in the world, I should say. It's everywhere. It's almost impossible to escape at times. He says the body is not for fornication. It's not just about pleasing ourselves within the flesh. This is not what it's for. And he's very specific here. He says, it's not for fornication, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Look, their behavior was intemperate. Their behavior was improper. He's talking to them and he's saying, not only was that, but he said, your behavior is immoral. Their behavior was immoral. He says, know ye not, again, rhetorical question, know ye not that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? Now, Paul is painting a picture here that, hello, is a pretty graphic picture. Pretty graphic picture here. He says, you want me to take members of Christ and make them members of Arlen? That doesn't make sense to me. And then he says, what? What? As if they'd answered yes. What? He says, Know ye not that which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, that's God, by the way, that's the he there in verse 16, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Their behavior was immoral because he says their bodies belong to God. Belong to God. And he goes on and he's forbidding them to get involved in the systems of this world. He says, you can't put that together. It doesn't work. And he says, flee fornication. Flee it. Run away as fast as you can. Every sin that man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. I, I, I wished I would have gotten some statistics here, uh, but, uh, but you realize, I think, I think the statistic, I, I don't quote me on this, but I think the statistic is greater than one in four people have a sexually transmitted disease. One in four. Think about that. And, and it's like it's no big deal. It's as if, oh, well, you know, that happens. No, it happens when you don't flee fornication. It happens because people are sinning against their own bodies. And that's what he's talking about here. Then he says again, what? What? Know ye not 
that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Their behavior was immoral because their bodies belonged to God. Their behavior was, Im- was immoral because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. He says, you're not your own. Don't you know that? Don't you know you're not your own? And he explains in verse 20, for ye are bought with a price. And this whole chapter can be summarized in verse number 20 as far as what God expects here. For ye are bought with a price, therefore. Therefore. He said, your behavior, it's improper. Your behavior, it's intemperate. Your behavior, it's immoral. Therefore. Because you've been bought with a price, because you've been purchased by God, therefore, glorify God. You need a reason to live for God? He purchased you. You need a reason to to have a relationship with Him? He purchased you. With the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. Ye have been bought with a price, and that was the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And, in case you're wondering, in your spirit. Because both are God's. They're not separate. It's not over here I have a spirit, over here I have a body, and I can do whatever I want to in my body, but in my spirit I'll glorify God. No, 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 no. He says you're going to glorify God in both. Because you've been bought with a price. This church was, their behavior was, was all over the place. It's all over the place. And Paul was having to deal with this. And apparently, they didn't know where these things were. And apparently, they should have known. Six rhetorical questions at minimum. Don't you know? As if to say, how is it that you don't know this? As if to say, I taught you this. Or Apollos taught you this. Or Peter taught you this. And everybody wants to run around and say, I'm of him and I'm of him. And you can't even get this right. How is it that you seriously don't know? Well, the problem was they did know. More than likely. And there are certain things that we may be able to stand in ignorance of. We may be able to stand in ignorance of. I, I asked something the other day, something, I don't know what it was, but I can't remember offhand, but I'd asked, what does this mean? And somebody told me, I said, oh, I didn't know that. I was ignorant up to that point, but now I'm no longer ignorant. And, and, and again, there are some things that we may be able to stand in ignorance of, uh, but that's not going to stand when it comes to what God has said in His Word. You see, I want to remind you that we have something here tonight that the Church of Corinth did not have. We have the Word of God perfectly preserved for us for this time, for such a time as this. And we'll give an account. We should know what the Word has to say to us. And if we don't, it's not because God didn't provide it or has already said it. Know ye not? We we might say, oh, I didn't know that. I've never seen that before. But it's not because we couldn't have seen it. 
So maybe there were some new believers in Corinth that had come before Paul, but there were others that knew. That should have told. Their behavior was improper, intemperate, immoral. But they were all bought with a price. Therefore, in order to choose between the better and the best, we must Glorify God in our bodies and in our spirit. Because we, God, I should say, does not separate the two. Every head bowed, every eye closed tonight.